This podcast is a production of Faith Living Church. If you like what you hear, join us for church sometime in our Plantsville, Connecticut location, Saturdays, 6 p.m. or Sundays, 9 and 11 a.m. or online anytime at faithlivingchurch.com. So what I want to do is kind of pick up where we were talking about vertical and we were talking about devotion in action. It's something that we apply, you know, devotion in action. So a wee bit of a review here is that there's no higher compliment can be paid to a believer than to call him or her a godly person. Godly basically means godlike. Does anybody uh, familiar with the word Christian? What does Christian mean? Christ-like. It's the same thing. Godly, godlike. Christian, it just means Christ-like, you know? And those are uh, the, the same thing, you know? And the essence of the Christian life is godliness. It's a God-centered life. It's Christ-like, you know? That's what godliness is. Titus chapter 2, verse 12, and I'm reading this out of the Message Bible. It says, we're being shown how to turn our backs on a godless, indulgent life. God's word does this for us. We're being shown how to turn our backs on a godless. It means the, 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 the part of life that just leaves God out. We're, we're being shown how to turn our back on the part of life that leaves God out. We're being shown how to turn our backs on a godless, indulgent life and how to take on a God-filled, God-honoring life. And that's what we want to take on. We want to take on that God-filled and that God-honoring life. It it, it makes a difference. It, It changes things in us. It brings transformation in us, you know. Uh, one of the ways that we go about that is through obedience. We, we, we read the, the uh, letters that, that God has sent unto us. This is our training manual. And as we obey what his word tells us in so many facets of our life, we become more godlike and we become more Christ-like, you know. Be, learning to be filled with the spirit and being led by the spirit. And there's fruit of the spirit. And there's also what is referred to in the Bible as the fruit of the flesh. And there's a difference between the two. You know, so we want to stay in his word um, and not just hear it. Oh, yeah, that was interesting. Oh, that was entertaining. Oh, wow, that was interesting too. But the Bible says don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a, a doer. Then we apply those things to our life. That's what we're talking about here. Anyhow, it says in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3, also in the Message Bible, it says, everything that goes into a life of pleasing God, a godly life, a Christ-like life, everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us by getting to know personally and intimately. This is how we get all these blessings coming our way, everything we need, you know. Everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us by getting to know personally and intimately the one who invited us to God. Now, who was it that's invited us to know God? His son, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So Jesus is that door. He is the invitation to get to know his Father. And he says, the one who invited us to God. And then it says, the best invitation we ever had was the one that Jesus gives us. And we can get to know God the Father as we come through Jesus. And uh, Jesus is the one who says, come unto me, you know. And he's beckoning us to come. And it says, the best invitation we ever received, we were also given absolutely terrific promises Wow, we were given absolutely terrific promises to pass on to you. Your tickets. Have, I don't know if you've ever got them or not, but I've seen them quite a few times. People get this little ticket book, and it has all the names of the restaurants, and it's usually 
two meals for the price of one or this or that. But there's all kinds of blessings for the person who gets that book of tickets. And you use the tickets in that book. You ever see anything like that? Yeah, you have. Well, this is a ticket book right here. And this gives us all kinds of benefits and all kinds of blessings. It genuinely does. And that's what it's talking about here. It says, the best invitation we ever received. We were also given absolutely terrific promises to pass on to you your tickets to participation in the life of God. Here is your tickets to the participation in the life of God. Here's the promises that you and I can access, the tickets that we can access and utilize to get to know more intimately Almighty God. Because that's what he wants from us. He is always beckoning us, hey, come on, follow me. You know. Anyhow, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, it says, and this is a little bit of a review from our first session on this. It just says, Train yourself to be godly. <laughs> Train yourself to be godlike. Train yourself to be Christ-like. The thing is, you got the promises. You, 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 you got the tickets. You've got the Holy Spirit to empower you. And he's telling us to apply it. Train ourselves. Put this to work in our lives. Because uh, God's not going to force it on us, but we can apply it if we like to. It says, train yourself to be godly. And I'll tell you, one of the greatest things is hiding his word in your heart. The training manual, hiding it in our hearts. You know, uh, keeping yourself spiritually fit is really important, but it comes through the training manual here. To keep ourselves spiritually fit, apply this to our lives, you know. It says here in verse 8 now, it says physical training, physical training. He says here, physical training, you know, physical training is good. But training for godliness, that's spiritual training. Training for godlikeness, training for Christ-likeness, he says here, physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Uh, here we train by the power of the Holy Spirit. He leads us and guides us into all truth. He is the one who teaches us about his fruit that grows and develops in us. He says, training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. Do you believe there's a life to come? Our loved ones who have already crossed over. They're experiencing all the benefits, the promises, the life to come. We know we're pilgrims. The Bible says we are pilgrims and we're passing through. And we're looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. It's a real place. And that is our destination. You know, God never put us here to stay here permanently. We're passing through. We've got a mission while we're here. We're agents of Almighty God. The, the scripture says we're ambassadors of God. You know, but we're passing through. But he tells us while we're here, verse 8, physical training is good, but spiritual. Training for godliness. This spiritual training is much better, promising us benefits in this life and benefits in the life to come. Now, I was reading this article sometime ago. And have you ever heard of this uh, a woman whose name was Mandisa? You know what she does? She's a singer. So let me just read a little something I discovered about Mandisa. Mandisa Hundley, a gospel singer, was one of the 12 finalists on American Idol. And when she met the judges, Simon Cowell, Paula Abdul, and Randy Jackson, to find out if she had made it through to the next round of the competition, well, however... She got a stinging comment from Simon. Ein Mandisa, who was heavy set, Simon asked, Do we have a bigger stage this year? Now, if you are heavy set and you step on a stage and someone says, Hey, do we have a bigger stage to hold that woman? It could be a little bit of offensive, don't you think? Yeah. 
Well, when she entered the room to learn the judge's verdict, Mandisa looked right at Simon and said, Simon, a lot of people want me to say a lot of things to you, but this is what I want to say. Yes, you hurt me. I cried and it was painful. But I want you to know that I've forgiven you and that you don't need someone to apologize in order to forgive somebody. And I figure that if Jesus could die so that all my wrongs could be forgiven, I can certainly extend that same grace to you. I wanted you to know that. It's pretty amazing what she said. Now, let me just share a thought with you. A pearl is developed when an oyster is wounded. A pearl is developed when an oyster has been wounded. Anybody have a a real pearl? It came from a wound in an oyster. It was a cut, you know, uh, a sore piece of uh, shell or sharp piece of sand that irritated it and all. And the oyster had been wounded and it developed a pearl because of the wound in the oyster. Anyhow, Simon apologized and he hugged the singer. And Mandisa discovered that she had advanced to the next round. There's a scripture that really echoes this, what happened there with her toward him who had wounded her publicly in front of millions of people, you know, and it's found in Ephesians 4.32 and it goes like this. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. That's what the scripture tells us to do. Now a question for you, a couple questions. Have you been hurt? Have you been wounded? Maybe by an unkind word or an unkind action? Have you been falsely accused? Have you worked hard and received no appreciation? Have your ideas been rejected? Then I challenge you to grow a pearl. You have opportunity to grow a pearl. Cover your hurts and cover your wounds with layer upon layer upon layer of love and forgiveness. And grow a pearl. Because, be honest with you, you start and think about it, a, a pearl is a wound that has been healed. Testimony of the God's healing power. How do you respond when, you know, you've got something that's getting under your skin? And that's what happens to an oyster. You think about that. Um, often we try to please God without actually taking time to walk with him. And I don't know if you do or not, but I'll tell you, he's probably about the most, he ain't no probably about it. It's absolutely the truth. God is the most important thing in any man or woman's life. The most important thing. And we can find, and if we can't find, we can make time to walk with him. We can make time to talk with him and for him to give us instruction. Oftentimes the way God speaks to us He brings back to our mind something we read or something we heard somewhere and he quickens it. He makes it come alive by his spirit to us, you know. And uh, it's just amazing how God does this, you know. But he wants us to walk with him. He wants us to talk. That's what we would call prayer, to talk with him. And, And godliness, it begins by cultivating this close relationship with God. Or in the morning time, you can wake up and he's the first thing on your mind. Hey, good morning, Papa God. You know, good morning, you know. No, he didn't sleep. So you can't ask, hey, was your night asleep really good? Because he don't sleep, you know. But he surely wants to bless yours. Have no doubt about that. And you can talk to him in this relationship the way you talk to your closest friend. And you can pour out your heart 
in places where you're a little bit timid to pour out your heart to a human, maybe, but you can pour out your heart to God. You can open up yourself and receive the grace and the mercy that he extends to you. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, and uh, this is in the New Living Translation, it says, those who say they live in God, those who say they live in a relationship with God, should live lives, live their lives as Jesus did. And the King James Bible says, those who say they abide in Christ should walk just like Jesus walked. Do we say that we're Christian? We're Christ-like? Well, then we should be walking like Christ walked. Mandisa, she actually did that. She was kind, tenderhearted, and she forgave those who wounded her. She grew a pearl. There's something fantastic and good and great came out of that because she was training. She was applying what the training manual says. Ephesians 4.32. It's a powerful, powerful passage. It really is. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 says, Yet true godliness, Christ-likeness, God-likeness, yet true godliness with, what was that word? <laughs> Contentment is itself great wealth. Are, are you guys open to having some great wealth? As, as, as God describes what great wealth is? Yet true godliness, a man, a woman who lives godlike, who lives Christ-like, and, and, and you have learned contentment, is itself great wealth. Christ-likeness and being content is great wealth. I'm talking about growing pearls. That's what I'm talking about here. See, contentment is finding joy in what God has given you. Sometimes people don't really appreciate what God's given them because they see a newer model or something a little bit bigger, a little bit fancier, a little bit shinier. And people often are not content with what God's given them. And they, they miss out on this great wealth that God has offered unto them. So contentment does not come quickly. It doesn't come easily. It doesn't come naturally. Contentment grows over time. And it's something we have to learn. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 says, don't be obsessed with getting more material things. It's talking about covetousness. Don't be saying, oh, I got to have one of them and one of them and one of them and one of them. And well, mine works good, but I got to have the better one over here. And that one's better and better and better. I got to get one of them. I got... And he tells us in his word, and God don't mind you having things. He don't mind it at all. But don't become obsessed you, you know, you're obsessed with it. Don't become so preoccupied and obsessed with getting more material things. And that's called covetous. This is where the Bible says, thou shalt not covet. That's where you become obsessed with just getting and getting and getting and getting and getting. He says, don't be obsessed. It's okay to get, but don't become obsessed with it. More material things. Be relaxed. Be calm. You know, this is a, stress-free. This is peaceful. This is being content. Don't be obsessed with getting more material things. Be relaxed with what you have. Be content with what you have. And you'll see that God will add to that. He says, but be relaxed with what you have since God assured us. And if, I'm going to tell you, this is, this is a fantastic promise here. 100% truth. You can apply it to your life today and it will transform you, guaranteed. Since God assured us, this is what God assured us, I'll never let you down. Can you imagine the almighty God who knows you personally? He knows how many hair on your head. He says, I will never let you down. I will never walk off and leave you. Have you ever had someone walk off in a conversation and just leave you? God says, I'll never do that. 
I'll never let you down, God says. Don't become obsessed with more material stuff. Let, let your, your passion and your affections be toward me, God says. He tells us we'll seek him first. Everything we have need of is going to be added to us. Instead of us looking for stuff to satisfy us, God says that stuff is going to come looking for you that will satisfy. I'm going to send it your way. So he says here, since God assured us, I'll never let you down, never walk off and leave you, we can boldly quote, God is there, ready to help. I'm fearless no matter what. Who or what can get to me? Wow. Can you say that? Can you quote this from the depths of your heart and know the reality in the training manual that it's true? God is there and he's ready to help. He is there and he's ready to help. He said so. That's what he's promised. He's never going to walk off from me, never going to let me down. He is ready to help. I am fearless no matter what. No matter what in my life or going on in this world, no matter what. I'm fearless no matter what. Who or what can get to me? Now, here's an interesting article I came across. There's an account of a spiritual seeker who interrupted his busy life to spend a few days in a monastery. I hope your stay is a blessed one, said the monk who had showed the visitor to his cell. And the monk said, if you need anything, anything at all, let us know and we'll teach you how to live without it. Quite an interesting concept. Because those guys had learned how to live without all kinds of stuff. And they were content and they were happy. And they said, we'll teach you how to live without anything you need. We're going to teach you how to live without it. Say, huh. But some of us might go, I don't want to live without it, you know. Listen to what it says here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. For I have learned. Everybody say the word learned. I have learned. I have learned how to be content. Ah, contentment is something you learn. It's not a gift of the Spirit. Contentment is something we learn. It takes time. But learning to be content will produce a pearl. Says, I have learned how to be content. I've I've learned how to be satisfied with what I got. I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. That's what he said. Now, don't answer out loud, but I'm going to ask you, have you learned to be content or satisfied with what you have? Or is it, well, I'm only going to be content and satisfied once I get Something bigger and better and shinier. He says, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know. Listen to what the apostle says. I know how to live on almost nothing. A term that we could use in the South, you know, it's like, I know how to live making do. (laughs) Almost nothing. And, And those who live in a survival Uh, situation they learn how to survive in the wilderness and and they can make do and and they can create fire and shelter and food and all those things out of almost nothing it's kind of an interesting concept but he says i know how to live on almost nothing you know or with everything And, and he's telling us this is and i'm thankful for the times i've lived just making do where i Hardly had anything, almost nothing. And I am thankful for the times when I had a lot more than I needed, more than enough. But it's a learning process to be content in either situation because you got to learn to be content with hardly anything. And you got to learn to be content with having more than enough because some people aren't content with the having more than enough. And what God wants us to do is to learn how to be thankful either way. And he goes on to say, I have learned the what? I've learned the secret. It's a training secret. He says, I've learned the secret in this training. He says, I've learned the secret 
of living in every situation. Whether it is with a full stomach or an empty or, or with plenty or, or with little. I, I've learned what he's telling us here. I, I, I've learned the secret of living. Whether I had to get a bigger belt to go around my belly because I had so much or I had to tighten up my belt because I didn't have much in my belly. He said, I've learned how to do both. And I've learned to be thankful and content in either situation. And that's a part, an extremely valuable secret. If you can do both of those things, you are in set yourself in a situation for transformation and for miracles to happen in and through your life when you can be content. But the contentment is a learning process. It doesn't just go, hey, God, please give me contentment like you gave to her or to him. It don't come that way. It's a learning process. We learn the secrets that Almighty God has given us. You know, we don't learn contentment by having everything we want. We learn contentment during the times when we don't have everything we want. That's where we learn contentment. God used the experiences of loss in the Apostle Paul's life to produce this wonderful good fruit called contentment. When he, he didn't have everything he wanted, he learned to be content. That's what the Bible tells us. Now, there's a verse that we probably all, almost everybody in here can quote. It's the very next verse. We've been reading Philippians 4, verse 1, you know, verse 2. You know, on down, you know, through uh, verse 13, and listen to what verse 13 says. And he's talking about, I've learned to be content with a lot or with a little. And he says in verse 13, and that's what it's talking about. It's relevant to other things. He says, but, but I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I can live with almost nothing. I can not only survive, but I can blossom and bloom and thrive. And, 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 and I can live with a little or a lot. And he says, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. A Christian comes to contentment, not so much by way of addition as by way of subtraction. Contentment does not come by adding to what you have, but by subtracting from what you desire. The world says that you will find contentment when your possessions rise to meet the level of your desires. But the Christian has another way to contentment. That is, he can bring his desires down to his possessions. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 in the King James Bible, it says godliness or God-likeness or Christ-likeness, godliness with contentment is what? Not just gain. Godliness with contentment is something that you learn, he says, is great gain. This is great I mean, it's so big, it's, it's almost unmeasurable. It's great wealth, it's great gain, having Christ-likeness and being content. It's a great gain. It puts you in a situation to grow some pearls. That's what he's talking about here. You know, happiness is not determined by wealth or fame, but by character, says Billy Graham. Y'all have heard of Billy Graham. He said, happiness is not determined by wealth or fame, but it's determined by character, said Billy Graham in his autobiography that was called Just As I Am. And he goes on to say, he said, Ruth and I had a vivid illustration of this on an island in the Caribbean. One of the wealthiest men in the world had asked us to come to his lavish home for lunch. He was 75 years old, and throughout the entire meal, he seemed close to tears. I am the most miserable man in the world, he said. Out there is my yacht, and I can go anywhere I want to. I have my private plane and my helicopters, plural. 
I have everything I want to make life happy, yet I am as miserable as hell. We prayed with him, trying to point him to Christ, who alone gives lasting meaning to life. Later that afternoon, Billy Graham said, we met with the pastor of the local church. He was an Englishman, and he too was 75, a widower who spent most of his time taking care of his two invalid sisters. He was full of enthusiasm and love for Christ and for others. I don't have to, I don't have two pounds to my name, the pastor said with a smile, but I'm the happiest man on this island. Billy Graham asked his wife, Ruth, after they left, he said, who do you think is the richer man? She didn't have to reply because they, they both already knew the answer to that. It was a pastor who didn't have two pounds to his name. He was happy. He had learned to be content. He had great wealth and he had the greatest gain. First Timothy chapter six, verse six, it says here in the message Bible, it says a devout life it's talking about a godly life, a Christ-like life. A devout life does bring wealth. But it's the rich simplicity of being yourself before God. Can you imagine hanging out with God and being yourself with God? You know, what happened this morning, and God just does things that he don't have to do. Now, you all probably know that I, I'm, I, I like outdoors and mountains and Lions and tigers and bears, old mine, all that kinds of stuff, you know. I really do. And went outside this morning. Susan and I, we always pray after we go out the door, you know, we, we pray and then we take our hike up the mountain and talking to God the whole journey that we go. And we're talking and we're praying and I'm going, honey, look to your right. We just kept on walking. It's a big old doe over there. She's just looking at us like, what are you doing over here? You know, and I talked to her. I said, there's some apples down in my yard. Help yourself to them. Take your friends, especially in September. <laughs> and she was a little bit nervous. If she just hopped over there, waved her little white tail at me and stopped again and just watched us as we walked right by. Is that true? I can hear you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and then we had to go up this steep little part at the base of the, the mountain and there goes two more white tails up ahead of us, you know, waving at us, bye, bye. And like, now to me, God sends them across my path because he knows I like to see them. And it's just like, yes. You know, whatever might have been on my mind or bothered me, wouldn't bother me no more, you know, because whatever might have been bothering me went with those white tails, you know, when they went away. And we got up there to the top and there's a little log that we sit down on on the top there. And Susan is, I want to say perspiring, but you weren't per per perspiring. You were sweating, wasn't you? She's got a backpack on. I got a backpack on. We got our boots on, hugging up here. We sit on this little log, and she's going, oh, sure would be nice to have a breeze this morning, because sometimes there is. But everything was just still. Nothing was moving except those deer in the woods, you know? And... It couldn't have been more than 15 seconds after she said that. We're sitting on this log looking at this massive rock that's 80 foot high in front of us. And there's a couple of bushes there. And they just begin to jiggle. Is that true? Yeah. And we just watched and I said, there it is. Just the faintest bit of a breeze. And then this little tree over here, the leaves started jiggling a little bit more. And before you know it, it wasn't a whole lot, but it was enough to cool us down, wasn't it? And then we went on around and we followed the deer and it was nice. I was just seeing their tracks. Even when we we're on rock, there was a little patch of dirt or there was a rock kicked over. And it's just like, all I'm saying is that we didn't have to have no freeze. We didn't have to see no deer up there. But God just allowed us to enjoy something because the Bible tells us What's it talking about, about the details of our life? 
God delights in every detail of your life. You're his kids, and he delights in the details of your life. And it's just like, you just want to kind of slap God five. It's like, yes, it's awesome. Thank you. We got to the top. We had about a half an hour, a little bit more than half an hour. We all went up on the top there. We watched the sun rising. It was so beautiful. And then a little bit more breeze came, cooled us down. You know, it was just glorious. And God will meet you every day if you want to take a walk with him. And you don't have to walk outside. You can stay inside. Wherever you just make time for God, he delights in every detail of your life. That's just the truth of it. Anyhow, it says a devout life does bring wealth. But it's the rich simplicity of being yourself before God. You can be yourself. Knowing that God, he, he loves hanging out with you. Since we entered the world penniless and will leave it penniless, if we have, maybe I have some. Let me see. Oh, oh, oh. oh man. What you call these things? Croissants. Y'all ever had a croissant? I haven't had a croissant in over 20 years until last night. Because you know what about these are special croissants? They're gluten free. Let me, let me read this. It says, if we have bread on the table and shoes on our feet and you know what? This here, this is the shoes, the boots I wear up on the mountain. We have different ones for different seasons. We have a different pair of boots when it was seven degrees up there this past winter. But these are my favorite. They feel like sneakers, you know. And uh, it's just like, I'm so thankful. There's been quite a few times we did a little skating. You know, it's just like, and then they grab and they stop you. You know, is that true? Susan does a little skating up there too, you know. So he says right here, if we have bread on the table and shoes on our feet, that's enough. Man, I meant to bring some jelly or something to put on these. I plan on eating all these during the rest of the service. I'm teasing. <laughs> this is the second one I've had in over 20 years. <laughs> oh, wow. If I'd had some jelly or something, some honey, I could have probably eaten all those. Eaten? Eaten. Now, you may be used to having those every day. So it ain't no big deal to you. But to me, that's the second one I've had in over 20 years. Wow. That is delicious. And I'm telling you, these shoes right here are some of the most comfortable shoes I wore, wear on sidewalks around here. These shoes right here are the best shoes I've ever wore climbing on rock. And climbing around other than the mountain climbing ones that you go straight up with. Those are, I don't need no other shoes. I can tell you what, this can be my lunch, dear. We can find something to put on there. <laughs> That's enough. Well, the scripture says, if you have bread on the table and shoes on our feet, that's enough. Because we cannot, although I like these shoes here, when I go to heaven... I can't take them with me. Did you know that? I mean, I've read some stories where people have died and, and they did all their, their best to try to make some deals to take their possessions with them. And one guy had a suitcase full of pure gold. And he'd worked all of his life, made all kinds of sacrifices for all that gold. And he figured out a way to take it to heaven. And when he got to heaven, you know, the, the angels that was there is going, 
oh, what you got? And he told them, this is my whole life work right here. And he said, well, here, we'll take that. And they opened it and saw the gold, and they dumped it out in other piles for road building material. It's like asphalt, because in heaven, the Bible says the streets are pure gold. So can you imagine working your whole life long to get yourself a big suitcase full of asphalt? Because that's what it is. They, they make the streets. He just wants you to understand all that we pursue here, they make roads out of it up there. Anyhow, if I can find out where I was at. Oh, if we have bread on the table and shoes on our feet, that's enough. And then he goes to verse 9. He says, but if, if it's only money... These leaders are after they'll self-destruct in no time. Now, does God mind you having money? Not at all. As long as you have the money and money don't have you. Our forefathers knew and understood that. That's why they put it on, printed on those dollar bills. And that's why the rest of the world is trying to take it off. It's in God we trust. We get our contentment through a relationship with him. And everything we have is because he gave it to us. We need to understand that. Research had been collected from McNeil uh, Productions, Generations Next Project. It says 81% of the people who were surveyed between the age 18 and 25, the list says that being rich was their top life goal. 81%. Of all the people they surveyed from 18 to 25 years, their top life goal, I want to be rich. I don't say nothing about what you want to do with your life. He didn't say, I want to be a doctor, or I want to be a scientist, or I want to be a teacher. He says, I just want to be rich. And the Bible says, along with just, just wealth alone, with no real goal there, it leads us into tremendous temptations. God's not against money, mind you. The Bible's full of money, helping the poor. He talks about tithing. He talks about learning to be generous. He talks about taking good care of your family. God is not against money at all. He's not against you having money, but he is against money having you. And there is a difference between the two. Genuinely is. Thelma and Victor Hayes won more than $7 million in 2005 in Canada. And when asked what the couple who were then in their, they were both of the age of 89, would do with the money. They said that at this stage in their life, they were unlikely to become giddy high spenders. They planned to stay in their retirement home. And Victor Hayes, he planned to buy a Lincoln town car. But his wife simply wanted a new pair of nylons. Oh, these won $7 million. She could probably afford a pair of new nylons. Her response was widely reported as comical, like maybe we felt. If not foolish, how could someone win a fortune and change nothing but her nylons? She had learned contentment. She had everything she wanted. And she was happy. And she was satisfied. She didn't need anything else to make her happy. She could be happy with a whole lot and she could be happy with a little. She had learned that valuable lesson. Listen to what it says in verse 10. As we continue on, 1 Timothy 6.10, it says, lust for money, some of the love of money. And that lust is talking about this greedy desire for more and the willingness to gain it by unethical ways. That's what it's talking about. Lust for money brings, what does it say? Lust for money brings trouble. Ain't nothing wrong with having money. But there's something very wrong with money having you and getting a hold and controlling you. Lust for money brings trouble. And nothing but trouble. Going down that path of lusting for money some lose their footing in the faith completely. Their lust for material possessions and stuff 
They lose their footing. They don't have no grippers. They lose their footing. In the faith completely, they straight off course. They lose their footing in faith completely and live to regret it bitterly ever after. The King James Bible says it's similar. It says those who have this love for money, they pierce themselves through with many sorrows because they love it. Money is not the root of all evil. The love of it, the lust for it is the root of all evil. Money makes a great servant. It will serve you. I say, hey, guys, we're going to go out and have a picnic today. And I go and buy all the supplies with some money, and money becomes a great servant. You can take care of your family and your friends and help people in need. Money is a great servant, but it is a horrible master. When you are obsessed with it, it's a horrible master. It will make you end up in heaven one day dumping out bags of asphalt and going, hey, I did it. I worked all my whole life for this, for you, Lord. Uh, we'll put it in a pothole down there, I reckon, you know. There's got to be more life than that. It has to be, you know. So if you set your heart on money, money will break your heart. If that's where your heart is set. If, if your heart is set on helping people or being a blessing to someone, doing whatever God has created you for and he's whispered in your ear to do. Well, it says here in the book of Mark, chapter 4, verse 19, it says, the cares, and, and, and this word here is really talking about worries, the anxieties, the, the cares, the anxieties of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. And, and riches will deceive you. And, and it's just like, the more of me, the more of me. Oh, you, you will be so happy. The more little pictures of dead presidents that you can store in your closet and the more little pictures of dead presidents you can stuff under your, mask, your mattress, you will be really happy. The Bible says the deceitfulness of riches. It really doesn't give us satisfaction. The guy we read who lived on that Caribbean island and he was one of the most wealthy men in the world and he says, I am miserable as hell, and I have everything that anybody could ever want. The deceitfulness. Ain't wrong to have riches. It ain't wrong at all. God wants you to be blessed, and he wants you to serve. Let it serve you well. But don't let it gain control of your heart, because it will break your heart. It says, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in does what? Chokes the word. It chokes God's word and, and it will become unprofitable, unfruitful. God's word will not work if you have a lust for money. And, and if you're all just caught up in the, the, the worries and the anxieties of the world and, and the deceitfulness of riches and the, the lust for other things, it says those things come in and it chokes the word so your prayers aren't being answered. The, the fruitfulness that God has given for you, it just don't, there is no fruitfulness anymore because you allow these things to control your life and it chokes the word so it don't work in your life. That's, that's what he says. I'll read one time. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the lust for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Hmm. Going back to verse 11 over here in a, where was we at there? First Timothy chapter 6, verse 11 says, But you, Timothy, man of God, run for your life from all of this, from the covetousness, from the lust for money. Run from it. Don't let it gain control of your heart. But then he says, pursue a righteous life, a godly life, a Christ-like life. Pursue a righteous life, a life of wonder. And that's what you got when you hang out with God, a life, pursue a life of wonder, faith, love, steadiness, courtesy, run hard and fast in the faith, seize the eternal life, the life you were called to, the life so you so fervently embrace in the presence of so many witnesses. I'm charging you before the life-giving God and before Christ who took his stand before Pontius Pilate and he didn't give in an inch. Keep this command. 
to the letter and don't slack off. Our master, Jesus Christ, is on his way. I wonder where he's on his way to. I think the times we live in right now, he might be on his way back for us. Our master, Jesus Christ, is on his way, verse 15. He'll show up right on time. His arrival guaranteed by the blessed and undisputed ruler, high king, high God. He is coming back. You don't want to just try to get to know him then. You want to greet him as a dear friend when he comes back. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, does anybody know what it says? If any man is in Christ, he becomes a, a new creature, a new creation. Old things, all the old things have passed away. Everything's become brand spanking new. When you pursue to be Christ-like, I'm telling you, everything is brand new. All the old stuff has been forgiven, and it's all behind us, you know. Oh, man. And then if you'll read through 2 Corinthians 5, 17, down to the end of the chapter, around 21, it tells us, that we are to be ambassadors, agents of God. When we've found this new relationship with God, we need to let other people know about it. This is the greatest thing in the whole wide world. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, it says, Set your affections on things of this earth. Did I read that wrong? I was just seeing if you was paying attention. It says, Set your affections on things above eternal things god's things god's purposes and god's plans and and learning how to use them learning the training manual that you can learn and use and you can enjoy the benefits while you're on this earth set your affections on things above and he says not on the things where on this earth don't set your affections there you set your affections on things of the earth it's going to break your heart Set your affections on things above, not on things of this earth. The things of this earth are temporal. That's what he's talking about. You can have things. You can use things. You can enjoy things on this earth, you know. Just don't set your, the affections of your heart on things. You can have them, use them, enjoy Just don't set your affections on the things of this earth. Don't set your affections there because your heart will be broken. Listen to what it says here in the Message Bible, Colossians 3, verse 1. It says, so if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along. And I picture Eeyore here, okay? Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorb with things right in front of you. What does he say to do? Look up. Look up. Look up. Be alert to what is going on around Christ. God's on the move. He's looking to answer prayer. He is looking for his supernatural power to be released in men and women's lives right now. Look up. Look up. Our redemption draweth nigh, he tells us. Oh, man, these passages are just so life-changing. Look up and be alert to what God, what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. I want to be involved in the action. See things from his perspective. And his perspective perspective is we win. That's just it. Your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. You remember what we read a little while ago? 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. They should walk as Jesus did. That's how you, you learn. That's your training. But what did Jesus do? Okay. That's what he did. Turn the other cheek. I'm going to turn the other cheek. Bless those who curse you. I'm going to bless those who curse me out. We, we learn from the training manual. We train ourselves in godliness, the Bible says, and, and we learn to be content. And he says, that's great gain, great 
gain. That's what I'm talking about. Now, here, here's the words of a song. I wanted to play the song to you, but what we have learned during the pandemic, a lot of the songs, although we have the permission we paid for to use the songs online and things like that, sometimes when you use a professional cut song, even if you have the rights to it, it flags something or another, and they shut the whole session down, and you can't live stream it. That's why lots of times I read you the words of songs nowadays. But here's a song that's called Give Me Your Eyes. I'm just going to read you the chorus. It says, all those people going somewhere, why have I never cared? And the prayer is, give me your eyes for just one second. Give me your eyes so I can see. Everything that I keep missing, give me your love for humanity. Give me your arms for the brokenhearted, the ones that are far beyond my reach. Give me your heart for the ones forgotten. Give me your eyes so I can see. Uh, that's the, the words, uh, the course of the song. And if you want to look it up online, it's an awesome song to listen to. Check it out. Give me your eyes. You know, who wrote that? Brandon Heath. It's worthwhile listening to. Powerful, powerful song. And it's his prayer, you know. And a godly man or a godly woman will see as God sees. And they'll care about what God cares about. So give me your eyes and give me your, your, your ears and give me your heart, Lord, so I can be Christ-like. So I can be more like you. Well, in second. Uh, Timothy chapter 3, and I'm just going to, well, I'll read it real quick. But understand this, because it's just jam-packed stuff in here. It's amazing, although it's kind of negative. It says, but understand this, that in the last days, y'all think we might be getting close to the last days? I think so. But understand this, that in the last days, dangerous times, the last Days, dangerous times of great stress and trouble will come. Difficult days that will be hard to bear. For people will be lovers of self, narcissistic, self-focused, lovers of money, impelled by greed, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, and profane. And they will be unloving, devoid of natural human affection, callous and inhumane. Irreconcilable, malicious gossips, devoid of self-control, intemperance, immoral, brutal, haters of good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of sensual pleasures rather than lovers of God. That's pretty serious stuff. Almost all of that fits in the world in which we live right now. Holding to a form of outward godliness, holding to a form of outward godliness, a religion, Although they have denied the power. Wow. For their conduct nullifies their claim of faith. Avoid such people and keep far away from them. It says they have a form of godliness. It looks kind of godly, but they deny the power. Now, does anybody here remember quite a few years ago when we had the infestation of the cicadas in Connecticut? Anybody didn't experience them? Everybody should have the privilege of experiencing cicadas. They get so loud. The police get reports like, there are aliens living in our woods. Because they make this terrible racket for about a month. and off. But they come out of the ground. And, and there are different seasons. Ours was a 17-year cicada. So if you remember when it was, 17 years from that year, they're coming back. And they live in the ground. And they have this little brown shell, and they'll crawl up on the, the tree. And they do this at night, and I, I watched them for about a month. I watched them, and I collected a bunch of them. They were delicious. <laughs> Almost everybody in my life group enjoyed them, too, you know. Am I telling the truth, dear? Yes, you are. <laughs> Anyhow. They were delicious. <laughs> they, they crawled up the side of the tree, and then they hung on, and then the back of their shell popped open, and they climbed out. They had little red eyes, and they had little nubs, no wings. And they climbed on up a tree. The first limb they came to, they climbed down that limb 
to the very tip of the limb over here. And they just hung on. And I sat there about 10 minutes. It takes 15 sometimes. Them little buds on their shoulder, they begin to grow. You can watch them. They were growing. And, and they grew about that long. And they were kind of a milky white wing. And then it dried. And it became as clear as glass. And they could fly. You know, it's really cool. But the thing of, about them was the little shelf, and probably so many people have seen them, they didn't know what they were, these little brown shells that are grabbing onto a tree, and it has a form of the cicada. But it denies the life. And the power has no power. Them cicadas fly away. And they mate, and they, they drop all these eggs in the little branches of the tree when they those little branches fall off and the cicadas go into the ground. 17 years, they come back full force. But the little shells has a form of a cicada. But there's no power. There's no life in it. And the Bible says there are people who have a form of godliness. It looks kind of like the real thing. And he says a form of religion. It looks like it's the real deal, but there's no power. There's no life in it. And he says, stay away from that. That's, that's what he tells us in his word right here. It really does. Um, maybe this is the last verse I'm going to read to you. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Your attitude should be the same that Christ Jesus had. Your attitude. As we're looking vertical, our attitude should be the same attitude that Jesus had. When Jesus hung on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Like Mandisa did to Simon. You know, forgive. And it says your attitude should be the same that Christ Jesus had. Christianity is not devotion to, to work. And it's not devotion to a cause. Christianity is not devotion to a particular doctrine. But Christianity is devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. Christianity is not a religion. It is a relationship. And I don't know if, about you if you have this relationship with Jesus Christ, but you can have it right now. And it's easier than most people ever imagined. It tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 there, 8, 9 and 10, it tells us. It says, confess with your mouth. It's kind of like a prayer. Confess with your mouth. That Jesus is Lord. I believe that Jesus is Lord. And then it says, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. We, we just celebrated Easter, the resurrection. He said, if you confess it with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and, and you'll believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, that means that he accepted the payment for your sins. If you confess it with your mouth and you believe in your heart, the Bible says you're saved. And then verse 13 says, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You call upon Lots of people have been fooled. It has a form of godliness. Well, if you do this and 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 this, that has a form of godliness, but it denies the power of God. He has the power to forgive us and to save us and to care for us. He has the power to do that. People say, well, God's going to weigh your good versus your bad, and if you're good, it outweighs your bad. He's going to let you into heaven. That is a lie from the pits of hell. I said that, and I mean that, and I believe that, and that's what the Bible teaches us. We are saved as a gift. Salvation is a gift. You confess Jesus with your mouth, and you believe God raised him from the dead, you're saved. That's it. So there's a lot more we would like to talk about along that line, but you got the training manual. Read it. Apply it. Learn Christ-likeness. Apply it to your life. I'm going to tell you what. It is a great wealth, a great gain. When it comes along with learning to be content. I'd like you to bow your heads with me. And I'll give you an opportunity to reaffirm your faith. Reaffirming your faith in Christ is just kind of like renewing your wedding vows. And you love to do it because you love each other. And we reaffirm our faith in Christ because we love him. But there are so many women who are here or who are joining us online who may not know for sure if they're right with God. Or they may have drifted off course. But let us just make a commitment and declare our faith to him today. 
So as our heads are bowed, I'd like you to join me in prayer. And, and Susan, if you would join me up here, I'd appreciate that. Would you pray? And, and, and those who are at home, would you pray? And pray out loud as we pray this simple little prayer together. Heavenly Father, I believe that you love me. I believe that you love me. And that's why you sent your son Jesus. And that's why you sent your son Jesus. I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe that Jesus died on the cross. And his shed blood. And his shed blood. Washes my sins away. Washes my sins away. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And that he's knocking at the door of my heart. And he's knocking at the door of my heart. And I open wide that door. And I open wide that door. And I welcome Jesus into every area of my life. And I welcome Jesus into every area of my life. As my Savior. As my Savior. As my Lord. As my Lord. And as my soon coming king. And as my soon coming king. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It sounds too simple. But it's just that simple. That's the good news. You receive the forgiveness. God writes your name in the book of life. That's what he says in the Bible. 